welcome to the Scam Economy with your host, Matt Bender. If you were to tell me on last week's show that I would open up this episode by saying the word RazzleCon, I probably would have asked you, uh, what in the world is a RazzleCon? But now we do know what a RazzleCon is, and that is, of course, the stage name for the TikTok surrealist rapper who wants to be a tech startup CEO boss babe who appears to be one of the two masterminds, if you could even call them, behind the huge 2016 hacking of the crypto exchange Bitfinex. This is going to be quite an episode. Now, before we get any further, though, I'm going to do a little bit of my own uh, Bitfinexing and drop some promos for how you can support this show, Scam Economy. Folks, go to youtube.com slash mattbinder if you already aren't watching it live there and subscribe to the channel. You can also subscribe to my video channels at twitch.tv slash mattbinder. Uh, go to scameconomy.com for all the links where you can watch uh, or listen to this program, including links to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, which some people said they had issues with before. Not anymore. That's fixed. Also, link to Spotify. Uh, if you can, by the way, also drop reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify uh, if you like this show. What else? Oh, also, patreon.com slash Binder to support this show monetarily. I ask for $5 a month if you can. You can give less. You can give more. It's up to you. It helps grow this show. Oh, also let me note that recently I've been on a few shows talking about the scam economy. Last week, I went on a YouTube show called Left Reckoning, uh, hosted by a producer of The Majority Report with Sam Cedar, a progressive daily talk show, to talk about crypto and what this show is all about. And then I went on actress Busy Phillips' show called Busy Phillips is Doing Her Best to tell her more about the celebrities that are hawking NFTs and all the weirdness going on in the crypto space because she was genuinely interested, especially after seeing what was going on with Paris Hilton and Jimmy Fallon in that segment on The Tonight Show. It seemed to have uh, triggered her, uh, is this possibly a scam or a grift or something not on the up and up alarm? So definitely go check that out too. And now let's get into this crazy story. And joining me now to talk about all of this is senior tech reporter with Mashable, Jack Morse. Jack, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Matt, for having me. Now, I should be full disclosure, uh, Jack is my colleague uh, just in case anyone's wondering, uh, and we all know that the the crypto. That's people, right. We do have the pleasure of working together. Right, and the crypto people uh, are very, uh, you know, they view transparency as very important. So I'm being transparent here. Appreciate it. <laughs> so Jack, what what there was this big? Let me let's just set it this way, I guess. There was this big news that dropped in, quite frankly, not just the crypto world, really just. The financial space, the criminal space, the justice department space, really an overlap of like politics and finance and tech. The DOJ came out and announced this, these big charges and this arrest announcement. What happened? Right. So the DOJ says that they made an arrest uh, 
and someone was attempting to launder billions of dollars worth of cryptocurrency and that they had identified the people doing so. Uh, you know, this was notable for a couple of reasons. One, they said that they had tied the cryptocurrency in question back to a major 2016 hack, which as so far had been unresolved. Uh, two, they said they were able to identify the people despite the fact that they had apparently tried to use many sort of anonymizing features, um, which we can get into later. And three, what really caught my eye is that, you know, it lists the, the people being accused in the DOJ press release and in the documents that they're in their early 30s and they're in New York and they're a married couple. So immediately people are interested, you know, the finance world is interested. We're talking about billions of dollars. We're talking about two young New Yorkers. It's, it's a pretty wild story. Right. And, and when people looked more into them, they found, you know, it's not like these were just two young people who were, I mean, I guess they're sort of mysterious in some ways, but they have a long history, uh, like a social media trail on YouTube, TikTok, um, even in like the tech space, the, in some yeah. aspects, both of them really aspired to sort of be, um, tech startup, like millionaires. Like they sort of wanted to be a mix between, I don't know, like a, a Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey, but also kind of like from like the, uh, the, the speeches out there, it seems like, uh, at least she sort of wanted to be like a Gary V or, uh, the, the four hour work week guy or something like that too. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's uh, Ilya Lichtenstein is 34 and his wife Heather Morgan 31. And you're right, you know they have a like many people their age, they have a lot of online presence, but they specifically have a lot of online stuff related to cryptocurrency, cybersecurity, social engineering, and hacking, which are all very relevant, obviously, to our conversation. Um, you know, you can go on a deep dive down, you know, uh, Heather Morgan's Twitter profile and see that she was pictured in, I believe, 2015 with John McAfee, like a notorious deceased uh, cryptocurrency scammer. Um, and, you know, these people have been in these two people, uh, Liechtenstein and his wife, Morgan, have been involved one way or another legally or they're accused of illegally uh, for many years. Right. Now let's before we go further into their their online personalities and profiles, right. let's actually let's let's rewind. Let's go all the way back through the uh, right. the hour the sands of time, and let's uh, go back to 2016 <laughs> when uh, this big hack on this uh, crypto trading platform Bitfinex occurred. Can you break down uh, what we know about that hack? Yeah, so Bitfinex, which is a cryptocurrency exchange, disclosed the hack in on August 2nd, I believe, in 2016. And they said at the time it was around 65 to $7 million worth of Bitcoin had been stolen, which now is, of course, worth much more. Um, the total was about 120,000 Bitcoin. And what seemed to have happened was that someone was able to artificially or behind the scenes change uh, customer withdrawal amounts, like the limits or caps set, and then was able to um, sort of bypass the multi-sig multi wallet uh, and basically steal these funds, send them off out of Bitfinex's control to a, uh, to a wallet that the hacker controlled. So, you know, theoretically, there should have been a lot of stops that would have prevented this from happening in the first place. Obviously, that's what hackers do. They get around those things. Now, has Bitfinex ever come out and given details about exactly how this occurred? 
You know, I was looking back into that because this was, again, 2016. There have been a lot of hacks since then. I had forgotten some of the specifics. Um, you know, I believe that they had issued some statements, but mainly I think they were, and as they confirmed earlier this week, they had been working closely with uh, U.S. law enforcement behind the scenes to try to figure out who had done it. So I think a lot of the details they had kind of kept to themselves. Right, right. And when we talk about the hack here, what what were this like like what 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 amount of money are we talking about and in the you know you mentioned all these various crypto hacks that literally each one is its own probably multi episode series really but where does the bitfinex hack land in like the hierarchy of crypto hacks yeah, it's definitely up there. So I think, you know, if you're talking about hacks of all times, you know, a lot of people talk about the Mt. Gox hack was another big exchange that happened. Um, but the 2016 Bitfinex hack is, was a pretty big deal. Um, you know, this was, you know, five, or sorry, now six years ago, um, but that's a long time ago in the world of cryptocurrency. And it was a pretty monumental um, hack at the time. And I think still, and specifically because, you know, up until very recently, a lot of those funds had just sat in the same place. Those stolen funds hadn't been moved. And because of the public nature of the blockchain, specifically the Bitcoin blockchain, you can see that those funds really had just been sitting there. Uh, I think that really intrigued a lot of people and got a lot of attention and was like, what happened? Someone stole this money and then didn't do anything with it. Right. So Heather Morgan and Ilya Lichtenstein appear to have not use these funds. And then at one point, mm -hmm. it appears that, and we should, we should say we're talking about well, what they have, actually, according to the DOJ, is that they uh, had laundered $3.6 billion here. And that's not even the full amount that you know, Bifinex says was stolen. I think that amount was even uh, well over $4 billion. So either uh, they, the DOJ hasn't been able to connect a wallet or a few wallets with the rest of the money back to these two, or maybe there's other people involved, which we could get to in a second. But when do they start moving around funds? Because it does happen at some point. And, and what do they do with it? So large, uh, large amount of the stolen funds actually were on the move as of earlier this month. And, you know, the DOJ seized a large amount of this, but not all of it. And they claim that, and again, these are all accusations at this point, but they claim that um, Liechtenstein, you know, had a lot of these private cryptographic keys stored in an encrypted cloud server, which they were able to, they say they were able to seize. And then once they had those keys, they were able to seize that money. Now, you know, you mentioned just a moment ago that they don't have all of the stolen funds. Well, it's possible that he, whoever, you know, had this cloud storage again it's accused to be Liechtenstein. the accusation is that he did uh, didn't keep all his keys in that one spot so that's why maybe they weren't able to seize all the funds but yeah um, the funds were on the move recently suggesting that someone finally decided that it was time to make this happen right i mean that's that first of all i want to just focus on the fact that he stored these keys on a cloud service i mean that's right. just astounding right uh, it's, it is astounding, but I also think it speaks to sort of the complicated nature of the whole thing. So, <clears throat> excuse me, but if you were tasked or if you were in a situation where you had control of $4.6 billion for the cryptocurrency and you were trying to launder it, which in, in this case, you know, allegedly went through thousands of intermediary wallets and tumblers and coin joins and, and chain hops and all this stuff and tried to launder it through the Alpha Bay, you know, dark market. It's like you're essentially talking about potentially thousands of cryptocurrency wallets and private keys. Um, you know, over the course of years, potentially you're trying to plan this or set this up. How else do you keep track of all this stuff, right? You keep it in a spreadsheet. 
And if we're talking about $4.6 billion worth of Bitcoin, you want to protect that spreadsheet. The best way to do it is in the cloud, an encrypted cloud service. Of course, though, that also means that it can get seized and you can go to jail. Right. I mean, I would have, I guess if I were, if I was to launder $3.6 billion in crypto across a number of wallets, I guess uh, to make sure there's no trail coming back to me, I would just be, I would have, you know, very, uh, very, in, in, a, in a manner where they can't quite tell, write these, the, the passcodes around, <laughs> like on paper, like maybe like yeah. write sentences and just like, the the words I need to remember just <laughs> highlight or something in some way so that it's not yeah. obvious. It would be they need, they need to work real hard to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that though that but like to just yeah uh, uploading stuff to the cloud in general is is a bad idea if you're trying to make sure you're the only one that has access to it. I mean you know even encrypted cloud services like um, iCloud. So if you have an iPhone and you back up your messages to the cloud, it's encrypted, but uh, Apple has the encryption key. So if the if you know law enforcement comes to Apple with a legal subpoena or warrant, you know they can actually get access to the contents of your encrypted files um, because Apple can access it. So encryption isn't necessarily a, a surefire protected thing unless you you have it end to end encrypted. Um, but yeah, so that's what they did uh, allegedly. Right, right. Now, oh, I just came across this according to this uh, piece in uh, Time, written by uh, Andrew Chow. It seems like the money, the, the excuse me, the Bitcoin was being passed around as early as 20, early 2017 in small amounts through a dark web currency exchange called Alphabay, which was shut down by law enforcement yeah. that year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then and then they basically were just. So Alphabay, you know, I, that's something that. Yeah, I've, I've written actually wrote about that oh, a bunch. That was a big dark net market kind of in the in the vein of uh, Silk Road. So, you know, think about where people would go online and they'd send Bitcoin to buy drugs or whatever, you know, fake documents. Alphabay was, uh, you know, was like a follower to that. Like it came in a long line of, of dark net markets and dark, Alphabay offered a service or they claimed anyway that if you submitted or passed your cryptocurrency through their accounts, it essentially tumbled it or mixed it. Uh, so they basically were claiming to be an anonymization service as well, which they they may have. I, you know, I can't speak to the efficacy of that. However, um, you know, um, law enforcement seized their servers, uh, as you mentioned, I believe, in 2017. And the alleged founder actually actually, you know, um, uh, committed suicide in jail. Uh, he was like a, a relatively young guy. Um, but, with, you know, with all those servers, uh, law enforcement might have been able to likely was able to you know, sort of undo whatever mixing had been done in, in 2017. Right, right. Also, let's let's talk about this real quick, because I, I saw this and, you know, I, I it sounds like it makes sense. And I, I mentioned it earlier on another show I was on. Um, but it appears that if they just weren't so, I don't know if it's, and we could get into how smart or, you know, how well thought out this was even more in a bit, but it appears that if they... Uh, had just distributed this money throughout just randomly sending chunks of it to thousands and, and maybe even tens of thousands of different wallets uh, and just, you know, kept a, a percentage or portion for themselves, which, again, we're talking $3.6 Even a very small percent would be a lot right. of money, life-changing. They could have pretty pretty much, it seems, sort of gone under the 
the the the the wire or the they really concealed themselves in a much better way. Let's put it that way, because then the the trace would you know, be to tens of yeah. thousands of different wallets instead of just hey, we're seeing the same few wallets trading back and forth. Well, I would say that premise sort of makes sense on the face of it, but I don't actually know if that's right. So there's a company called Chainalysis, which works with the US government, works with law enforcement. And basically they're a blockchain analytics company. And they are incredibly good at tracking money launderers and criminals on the blockchain. That is their, basically their, their primary product that they sell. And they can follow cryptocurrency transactions between and over thousands of accounts that are split up and jumbled and moved around and that are automated. So people can write scripts where they uh, basically are, are taking a single pot of Bitcoin and then they're splitting it into thousands of different accounts at the same time and moving it around. And then eventually it finds its way back to a, you know, a centralized spot. This is something that a company like Chainalysis can, can follow and track, excuse me. And they've even claimed or hinted at, I should say, the ability to de-anonymize certain um, privacy coins like Monero, though I haven't seen uh, explicit proof of that. Right. So, so okay, that's interesting because the, the Bitcoin, the sending to many wallets seemed like it made sense in some ways. I mean, uh, so, so where do you think the actual, the, the failure point is, has got to be storing the wallet keys to the cloud because that seems to be the one I connection, mean, right? I mean, that seems to yeah, be the thing that makes it all fall a big apart. Part of it, but I would also, yeah, I, I would also say, however, I think largely the failure point for this use case is public blockchains at all. I think that, you know, when Bitcoin first came onto the scene, you know, a, a decade ago, at least under the public consciousness, a lot of people and reporters were covering it like it was some kind of anonymity cloak, when in reality, it's the exact opposite, right? It's every single transaction anyone makes is public at any time forever. And as people get better at sort of tracing this stuff, you can go back in time and de-anonymize de people. There have been arrests where uh, people were selling drugs, like people in Southern California were uh, tied to the original Silk Road, the OG one, not Silk Road 2.0, not Alpha Bay, were arrested eight, nine, 10 years later because they tried to move funds that they hadn't touched, right? Mm. So I think the failure point, yes, keeping private keys in a you know encrypted cloud storage that you control, yeah, that's a pretty big one. But it also could be a larger issue with just the very nature of a public blockchain itself. Also, do you think the amount they stole played a role? Like they probably could have got away with a, maybe a mill or something like that, perhaps. I mean, you've seen, especially now, a lot of companies, uh, you know, you steal a huge sum, they'll be like, all right, give us back most of it and you could keep like 20 mil as a bug bounty. I think you're a hundred percent correct. I think that you know, 2016 was it was a different time than today. But you know, in the last couple of months, we've seen multiple hacks. I think from November and, and you know until now, we've seen at least two hacks of over several hundred million dollars. Uh, most recently, the worm, wormhole uh, wormhole hack, where the victim or the you know the company that was hacked or the platform that was hacked said. Hey, if you return this money, we're going to give you, you know, ten million dollars, no questions asked. So I think that, you know, if, you know, if, you know, who's to say what would happen if something like that happened today? But my guess would be Bitfinex would offer them a quote unquote white hat bug bounty fee, finders fee after the fact, and would just let them cash out. Right now, we should we should also say at this point there. I think we've mentioned it, but just to be clear again. Uh, Morgan and Lichtenstein uh, have not been charged with anything involved with the hacking. 
Um, and we're going to get right. into that even more right now. But, you know, we don't know if they they're just being charged with money laundering. We don't know if uh, Morgan or Lichtenstein or maybe both of them, who knows, uh, actually found this uh, weak security point in Bitfinex back in 2016. Um I don't know what I think. I mean, this would be pure speculation. I think it's possible either way. And um, right. it sounds like, you know, if you were, uh, uh, if, if they don't have the skills, it sounds like if you did have the skills to figure this out and find this security flaw and, and hack into there and steal these billions of dollars in Bitcoin, it seems like a smart thing to do would to try to find some dupes who you can unload most of right. the money on. And then maybe you can get away, you know, move out to a country where uh, they don't have extradition laws with the U.S., which I, I cannot believe these two did not do that. It just, oh, my right. God, unbelievable. But um, and then, you know, you all the attention's put on them and you scot free. You, you live your life wow. uh, drinking mimosas on the beach of some like beautiful uh, country on the other side of the world. I, I will say the the sort of patsy scenario is like has a real appeal to it especially when you look into sort of their online presence and you know heather morgan her her sort of budding rap career and and you know her online persona you think you know you look at this and you think could this person really have stolen 4.6 billion dollars and i would just say that maybe maybe not you know we don't know um and again there's just accused of the money laundering not even convicted but at the same time like why not i mean these are people that have a, a long history in the space um, involved, um, you know, involved Heather uh, Morgan rather had written about social engineering, had talked about, had given talks about cybersecurity. You know, these are people that, you know, if, if not them, why not? I don't know. It's, it's hard to say for sure. And, and it's, it's easy to dismiss, the, right. but it's still a possibility. Right. And you know, everyone's talking about her, her TikTok rapping career as uh, what is it? Razzle Khan. Just, I mean, I'll, I'm gonna, right. I'm gonna play one of those videos right now. Never forget, weirdest is most original. This song is for the entrepreneurs and hackers, all the misfits and smart slackers. Russell Kong, the Versace better win. Come real far, but don't know where I'm heading. Motherfucking crocodile of Wall Street. Silver on my fingers and boots on my feet. Always be a goat, not a god. I mean, this is, uh, I guess, the best way to describe it, real cringe stuff. 
Uh, you got the the rap videos where she's clearly not in her her raps are clearly not in sync with the beats. Uh, some really corny uh, of uh, mentions here of the her being the crocodile of Wall Street, whatever the hell that means. Uh, her TikTok yeah. raps where there's actually no music behind it. I mean, they did they did cash in some of that three point six billion. You think she would have hired a producer at some point to yeah. actually help? make this music she was putting out there a little bit a little bit better like she she puts it across like she's like a funny surrealist like it's supposed to be weird and over the top rapper like she's clearly trying to portray that but like the music is just like not good not even in a parody way like it's just clearly bad yeah i mean I, it's certainly not to my taste and uh, <laughs> i would say that you know were it not for her association her or her alleged involvement in this I think that it just would have been her music would have likely been, you know, like all, all other kinds of content on the web, sort of living in its own little niche, weird world where if a few people understand what's going on and everyone else is kind of like, what's going on here? Um, but, you know, because of this this uh, accusation, all of a sudden it puts a spotlight on on this. It's just jaw dropping. Yeah. Right. And, and you, know, you did mention the, the stuff she has out there where she talks about cybersecurity and social engineering. She's doing like presentations. And I mean, I don't know how much she knows about this stuff or if she's just like, you know, in this, in the tech space, it's really easy to talk a lot and try to sound smart and really have no fucking clue what you're talking about. We see it all the time with tech startups, even outside the crypto space. Um, But it's, she, she clearly has an uh, infatuation with this stuff. She sort of, portrays herself as like one of those tech startup CEO boss babes. And she really has like a, like, you know, if you, if you sort of ran away with all this money or just took all this money, you think you would just like, you know, not worry about your online presence or even your identity, but she keeps, not even the rap stuff. She's out there trying to continue to portray herself as like some startup software CEO founder. And you can tell that that's like really important to her. Like she wants to be someone in the space. Like she wants to, you know, take these, uh, these uh, interviews with like TechCrunch, I bet and recode. Like she would have loved to have done yeah, that. Stuff. She has a personal brand for sure. Right. Right. And so right. I, I do. And so yeah. the social engineering and it's thing, so incongruous. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go well, ahead. yeah, you think it, I think, Oh yeah. Well, one of the reasons this is so fascinating is because, you know, if again, this is the big if, but if she was uh, involved in this and had access to this amount of money, you know, seeing someone participate um, so aggressively in like, quote unquote, like the hustle economy or whatever, you know, trying to, to present herself as a brand and all the stuff that, you know, as as a millennial myself, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid 30s uh, or late 30s, all, you know, all the things that I kind of cringe at and don't like about like basically modern society, you know, she actively embraced them. And so many, I think other the, the confused reaction, so much of it is like, as, as you said, you know, man, if you had this much money, why wouldn't you just flee the country and go chill on a beach? Like what, you know, why are you pretending to be, or why are you being a Forbes contributor and, and writing all these kind of garbage clickbait articles? Like why even bother? Right. And that's for people who don't know, this is the Forbes contributor platform is like, you know how back in the day Huffington Post had like their actual staff paid reporters 
and then they would just let basically anyone who signed up to be a blogger just blog for free. And people would do that. Right. Well, people do that for one of two reasons. Like you just said, the whole branding thing, they could just say they're a Huffington Post writer. No one technically no one will really look into if they're actually a paid writer or just part of this weird system where you can just sign up and write. And then B, right. uh, you know, getting your content on there gives it some sort of cachet that, again, those same people who don't look into it don't realize like, hey, this isn't like an official reported piece. This is like basically someone writing on a live journal or blogger, except it's on Huffington Post. Well, Forbes has that same thing and they still have it. Huffington Post got rid of that years ago after realizing it was being uh, used in bad faith. But, you know, Forbes has plenty of examples of people, you know, usually what you see now is people will write. Uh, in Forbes as a contributor unpaid, but they'll get paid by a company who wants them to write about their company, but because it's on Forbes, it'll look like, right. oh, we got actually covered by Forbes, and they'll present it on their website, you know, as seen on Forbes. Right. It's basically Forbes uh, with their contributor network, and, and, you know, I should say that Forbes has real reporters that do real right. work, uh, but with the contributing network, they basically streamlined, you know, product placement, uh, or, or, you know, sponsored content in, in like a news uh, dressing or facade. Right, right. And and the reason I want to focus on the Forbes thing, other than her, you know, tying it in with her, her need to build a brand is uh, there's a company called Bitco uh, who worked with Bitfinex. And I don't know if they still do. Do they still provide uh, wallet services for Bitfinex? You know, I'm actually not sure about that, but yeah, they, they used to basically work, they were involved with, they had an AP, like a private API with right. Bitfinex basically. So Bitfinex and, and Bitco were, were tied together on the back end. Right, right. And so basically from what I, what I read is that Bitfinex's security in 2016, again, it could have changed, would be to have the, the, the these three, the three, you know, uh, the passcode for the wallet distributed to three different uh, parties, the user, the, like the person whose wallet it is, Bitfinex, and then this third party, like you just mentioned what they did, uh, Bitco. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Bitco wasn't the weak point. We should let this be known. Bitco wasn't the weak point in that Bitfinex hack. But again, they were still involved in the whole infrastructure. And so here's this company, you know, basically tied at the waist with Bitfinex at, during this hack. And they tweeted out just two years ago, in 2020, an article by Heather Morgan about cybersecurity practices. And on top right. of that, they provided quotes for her to put in this Forbes contributor article. I mean, it's, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't write it. Like the, when, when the movie comes out, which I'm sure yeah. it'll eventually come out and I'm sure there'll be some Dow who buys uh, the uh, NFT of it and thinks they want the rights <laughs> of the movie. Uh, right. But um, when the movie comes out, I mean, they're not going to have to really uh, embellish anything. I mean, it's all yeah, right it's, there. It's pretty wild. It's pretty wild to, you know, have someone um, who is such an, you know, we talked about this before, or at least positions herself as an insider in the cryptocurrency security space, then be accused of, of ripping it off. But, you know, I mean, in, in, like an insider attack is a real thing. It happens. And so... 
you know, right. it is just like the irony of it is is pretty sweet that one of the companies, you know, sort of tangentially involved or related to the hack in 2016 would then later be promoting a person accused of laundering the money stolen from that act. Yeah, it's wild. Right. It's almost like she did like what they say, like, uh, I'm, I'm not accusing her of being this, but what they say serial killers or other high profile criminals do, they go back to the scene of the crime afterwards. Like It's almost like she had to get involved with these guys somehow. Um, but, you know, it, it's pretty wild. Right. Yeah. Right. Like to contact yeah. them and say, hey, I'm writing yeah, this piece. <laughs> Let's move on now to uh, her boyfriend, uh, Ilya Lichtenstein, because while we're all paying attention to her rap videos and, you know, you know, another idea is uh, how they found out about the security flaw. Did she actually use the social engineering skills she claims to have to have found out about that from someone involved with Bitfinex in some way? Again, this is we don't know anything about that yet. Uh, or if she was even involved at that uh, deep of a hacking perspective. But uh, her boyfriend actually does seem to have legit uh, programming or coding credentials. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe you can tell me more a bit about that, actually. Because before we got on the call, you were telling me that, you know, he used to uh, he used to work. And where were you saying again? Oh, right. It's unclear to me if Lichtenstein is still involved with this company that he founded or was the CEO of. Uh, I saw that some uh, uh, some writer uh, reached out to them and they didn't respond. Uh, but he had found, I think it was called like MixRank or something like that, some SEO company or some sort of search optimization company. Uh, and they had... Uh, in fact, there's a video from, uh, I think, 2014, uh, where he is being interviewed by Heather Morgan, <laughs> and it's unclear to me if they were even boyfriend or girlfriend at the time. Um, they just seem, maybe that's where they right. connected. Uh, again, she was really dying to get into the tech startup space, it seems like. And here's this guy, uh, Lichtenstein, who has this company, and Mark Cuban had actually funded them. I think it was like $1.5 million. I mean, not terribly big when we're talking in the tech space, but also a lot more than most companies who even struggle to get funded right. get. Um, right. And so that's just interesting. Like, here's this guy who actually is getting success in the space. And then he, he moves on or in addition to the, uh, the SEO company, he starts some blockchain company called like EndPass. And um, right. I mean, I don't know if he does that after the hack or Whoa. before the hack. So, so on the one hand, you have someone with some demonstrated programming knowledge, and on the other hand, you have someone who bills herself as a social social engineer and cybersecurity expert. And you know, you put those two together, why, you know, why not? I mean, they could have done it. You know, that's and again, that's all alleged at this point. But I would say that a lot of people in this in the cryptocurrency uh, and blockchain space are normal people uh, who have normal jobs and are not criminals. Um, but there are a lot of very flamboyant and publicly sort of um, conspicuous consumption, brash people in the space. Also, the space attracts it, you know, so I, I can see it being both being potentially true, you know, that, hey, they actually were in this unique spot, um, Morgan and Liechtenstein, and they did, you know, again, potentially pull off this hack. And then they were also kind of publicly Internet goofballs. Right. Um, right. Yeah, I can see that happening. I will say, you know, they they were together. Um, you know, I know, like, I, I, so I will say that in 2016, I was going back through Morgan's Twitter profile, and she was posting photographs um, with Lichtenstein from uh, a wedding, I believe it was in Seattle, basically like the same weekend that the hack went down. So, 
you know, it is funny to think they were together then, um, and who knows what they were up to that weekend, but you know, it's a relationship that goes back a while. The the caption on the Instagram post she she posted is quite hilarious, actually. Um, I think it's something like, you know, love uh, getting into trouble with this guy, or or let me let me see if I can pull it up. But um, yeah, I'm actually pulling yeah, up exactly what you're talking about now too, right? It's it's there's there there's yeah. so, Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, it just says yeah. The caption on her her post from uh, August first, 2016, which was a day before Bipinex disclosed the hack. Um, was an Instagram post with she's seated on a couch next to what looks like next to Lichtenstein, I guess. But uh, and she says, "I will always love getting into trouble with this crazy guy," which is like you know, it's <laughs> it's bad timing for her to have that the day before the hack is announced. But it's pretty wild to look back and see that history um, just sitting out there on Instagram. Right. You know, this is all gonna. I, I, I mean, we're obviously gonna find out more. Um, as this case actually goes to trial or they come to some agreement, I don't yeah. know. They're facing, I think, what is it, a 20 years minimum? Is that it? Right. And yeah, so there's two separate charges, and I think one of the charges carries a 20-year maximum and the other one carries a five-year maximum. But, you know, 25 years is a lot of years, and uh, I could see – it would not surprise me if there was some sort of plea deal or some – sort of agreement or, you know, if we learn a lot more uh, in the coming months, let me put it that way. Right. And, and one, one really fun thing that we didn't mention is because, you know, a lot of people say that uh, a lot of people speculate that NFTs, non-fungible tokens, the, the monkey JPEGs and the cyberpunks, uh, people speculate that the reason they sell right. for so the, these, these tokens to connected to these JPEGs sell for so much is because they're used for money, money laundering. Well, we know from right. the DOJ report, uh, uh, the DOJ announcement, excuse me, on this, is that that's in fact what uh, at least uh, Morgan was doing. She was using the hacked Bitfinex funds to buy NFTs, which seems like a good way to actually you know, get that money and, and maybe in a non-conspicuous way eventually sell those NFTs and maybe people won't connect it to uh, the the uh, the laundered money directly. Maybe you know, take a little bit more work to get to that connection. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great way. Um, you know, buying and selling NFTs is is a great way to potentially legitimize potentially illegitimate funds. Um, right. But again, you know, it's a very risky proposition uh, to do that. As as I mentioned earlier, that company Chainalysis can really track that stuff. And even as was just. Uh, you know, came out in the news this week, and maybe you know, maybe Matt, you're going to talk about it on your show, or maybe you already have. But um, you know, uh, Melania Trump's NFT appears to have been bought by the same wallet that um, listed it, or essentially, you know, the funds to purchase the NFT came from the same wallet that listed the NFT. So even though a couple hops were taken in between, you're able to look at the blockchain and see, oh wait, the money that that, that came to purchase this thing came from the person who put it up. So yeah, I think there's a lot of um, potentially wash trading going on and a lot of money laundering going on, but you know, a dedicated eye could could uncover it. Right, and and one additional NFT point there is that I went to go check out Heather Morgan's and uh, OpenSea account where her NFTs are listed. Oh yeah, and they're they took her account down. It's not there oh, anymore. Man. Which guess what means that anyone who wants to see these NFTs. Uh, they can't. So this tokens, basically, her, the tokens she purchased, which are the NFTs themselves, uh, basically point to nothing. Like there's no, like it's not connected to anything anymore. 
So so much that's for fun. so much for decentralization, <laughs> I guess, right? I mean, when open yeah, didn't something similar fun. happen when Twitter launched their profile picture verification, and they just happened to launch it on a day where OpenSea was having server problems, and so because right. they were pulling from OpenSea's API, they couldn't actually show the NFTs because they were stored on OpenSea. I'm, I'm not specifically sure if that happened to Twitter, but that is something that happened. So you know, for example, MetaMask, which is like a really popular. Um, cryptocurrency wallet enables you to store, you know, your NFTs in your cryptocurrency wallet. Um, however, you know, OpenSea, basically what it was doing was making an API call to OpenSea and OpenSea had some problems, which meant that people, if they had purchased their NFTs through OpenSea, couldn't see the images associated with those NFTs. Right. And that just comes back to the point that the NFTs is, uh, is it describes the thing, the item, the object in question. It is not the thing itself. And yeah, so... Right. It's a hard, it's a hard, confusing thing to, to get your head around, but yeah, they're, they're a wild topic. Right. So Jack, to end, to end here, do you think Bitfinex has taught the crypto space? Well, I should say the Bitfinex hack and the subsequent money laundering has taught the crypto space anything. I think the, the response will be, this is good for Bitcoin, quote unquote. (laughs) I think people will say, um, great, you know, those tokens are locked up, that's, the Bitcoin's locked up, that means my Bitcoin's worth more. Uh, I think that, you know, people that are really closely paying attention will take it as a lesson in um, how dip- difficult it is to truly anonymize Bitcoin transactions. I think that's the takeaway that I have. I mean, there will always be hacks, you know, when there's so much, when there's this much money at stake, people will always be trying to steal it. But the question becomes, you know, if you can't ever spend it, if you can't ever get away with it, what is the point? Right, right. You know, it's it's uh, interesting to see that, uh, you know, really, you know, the core ideology of where crypto, the crypto whole market came from, and Bitcoin specifically, uh, really dovetailing with the fact that the U.S. government continues to uh, hoard lots of Bitcoin. No government yeah, involvement, yeah. baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jack Morse, uh, senior tech reporter at Mashable. Where can people find you? And and if you want to promote or drop anything upcoming you'd like to, to share with us, definitely let us know. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, you know, basically, I'm, I'm writing at Mashable. Uh, that's the home of all my stuff. But I talk a lot of shit on Twitter. Uh, and my Twitter account is at jmorse. That's M-O-R-S-E with an underscore on the end. Um, because that's the way I roll. And, you know, I think I tweet a lot about sort of dumb NFT stuff, the cryptocurrency scams. I also try to like poke around and figure out what's actually going on and try to explore usability of some of these things. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, give me a follow. Thanks a lot. That's kind of it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jack. You know, we were were shooting the shit in the Slack, uh, you know, our Slack DMs and just putting all this stuff together. And I was just like, Man, this is a conversation that should be happening in public. Look what's look yeah. at all this stuff that's being uncovered. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking the time and joining me. Have a great night, buddy. Yep. Thanks, you too. Appreciate it, Matt. Take care. Now, don't go anywhere quite yet. Because not long after I spoke with Jack, there was some new revelations in this whole story, interestingly enough, uh, published by Forbes. And I should mention, like Jack said, Forbes has real journalists And this isn't coming from that contributor program. These are legit reporters uh, who reported this news out. This is uh, Cyrus Faravar and David Jeans, Forbes staff, senior writer. 
Uh, and there's some really interesting information here that when the federal investigators raided the home of Ilya Lichtenstein and Heather Morgan, they found hollowed out books, fake passports and burner phones literally in a bag labeled burner phones. I mean, this is this is amazing. And on top of that, there, there's, a few, there's a few really interesting nuggets. For example, the couple uh, seems to have been uh, uh, traveling to uh, Ukraine and trying to uh, get false identification and figure out ways to launder money uh, via Ukraine and possibly Russia, it seems. But this is a really, really interesting one. So, and this is the one note I really want to focus on here because it's a it's, this is this is something else so when agents arrived at their apartment we now know that they went to search and morgan and lichtenstein said they did not want to be there while this was going on so they asked if they could go get their cat and so they said okay uh and the cat was apparently hiding under the bed so according to court documents, while Morgan was crouched next to the bed calling for the cat, she positioned herself next to the nightstand, which was still holding one of her phones. She then reached up and grabbed her cell phone from the nightstand and repeatedly hit the lock button. It appeared that Morgan was attempting to lock the phone in a way that would make it more difficult for law enforcement to search the phone's contents. Law enforcement had to wrestle the phone from her hands. I mean... There's going to be more coming out of this. And this isn't the last episode you'll hear on this show about this tale. And frankly, I'm looking forward to finding out what happens, uh, if there was anyone else involved, and really dive further into this latest saga, I guess you can call it, in the scam economy. (laughs) 